You're listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. Welcome to this special episode supported by Duck Creek. Today's guest is someone with a long history of implementing technology into the insurance market. Bart Patrick, Managing Director Europe for Duck Creek, really understands the demands of the industry and the sometimes fractious and strained relationship with technology that it has had over the years. Well, all of that is changing, and this discussion is all about how that is going to come about. With the advent of cloud computing, the industry finally has an opportunity to leave technology to the experts and simply get on with doing what it does best. In this brave new world, the software and systems we use are becoming simply a utility that we can avail ourselves of and don't have to own and maintain anymore. What's more, the best platforms can allow us to configure them in the way that we want to work and let us plug in any of the tools we want to use to help us do our jobs better and compete in the marketplace. This is what people are describing as an ecosystem. But transitioning away from legacy systems that are in fact many systems all bolted together is not easy particularly if we have limited budgets and the massively important requirement that nothing falls over while we are making the switch to the new way of working. Technical debt is the difference between what you should be spending on innovation and the amount of money you're actually spending on just keeping the old inefficient systems running. This talk explains how to get out of this debt. My role in this discussion is to be the layman with insurance knowledge and make sure Patrick doesn't get bogged down in technical jargon. Lucky for all of us, Patrick is a great explainer who knows how to talk to insurance people. I recommend this podcast to anyone wanting to gain a broad understanding of what our legacy industry tech problems are, where the future lies, and more importantly, how are we going to get there? But thank you so much for giving us the time to speak to The Voice of Insurance. In the past, I know you've spoken about something that you describe as a technical deficit. Can you explain this and let us know what you think the scale of the technical deficit is in insurance? So insurers have spent many, many years accumulating different companies, different technologies. They've been through different modes of selecting technologies, different regimes, different requirements. And over the however long it's been since they first started putting in mainframes and recording things not on paper, they've accumulated a great number of different systems. Over the years, again, the temptation has been not to switch any of these things off. And they become wrapped up. Uh, you can find AS400 lurking in there underneath the surface of the pond, waiting to grab unsuspecting drinkers and stuff like that. So AS400, is that the old IBM green screen machines? Yeah, they got updated from AS400 to I-series. It made them feel sort of funky and new. But yeah, it's the old green screen stuff. It's all um, RPG 400 programming. There aren't many of them left anymore, uh, people. But there are many of them left in the industry, still turning away in the background. And then they're wrapped up with another layer of technology and another layer of technology. And then somebody started talking about enterprise service buses were the way of doing things. And when you get asked for one enterprise service bus, all of a sudden three turn up. Uh, a good joke there. <laughs> but it's actually quite true. You've got these unbelievable behemoth architectures that are a combination of different systems, integrators, different technologies, different eras of technology and different thinking around technology, all hammered together. And over the years, many insurers have tried to deal with these things, but they're quite persistent. So underlying all of that is a simple fact. It costs a lot of money to keep these things going. And that is a source of technical debt. Technical debt is basically the difference between a high-performing insurer's technology stack and a low-performing or normal-performing technology stack. So really, you're looking around about, in a normal insurer, they're spending around about 70% of their 
IT budget on BAU, business as usual, and about 20% on innovation, about 10% on other bits and pieces. A high performing insurer is spending around about 40, 50% on BAU and the rest on innovation. Right. So maybe like to use a car analogy, you've got this lovely old Mini that you had in the 60s and it's still the original one and it's beautiful and, and fantastic, but it is a bit slow these days and probably not so good on the carbon emissions. And you're spending all your money keeping it going and giving it new gearboxes and clutches and it's quite hard to find the parts. Whereas in fact, you should be spending your money on having a super duper Tesla that's all electric and just whizzes around. Well, what they've done is they've amazingly taken this Mini from the 1960s, chopped it in half, welded a bit of jag in there, there's a tractor and somebody put the sat-nav on the outside of the roof. And that's kind of what you've got. We haven't got to the Tesla world yet. And that's kind of the next stage. That's how we're going to sort things out. It's to say, we can't go <laughs> sticking these things on here anymore. The new exhaust is just not going to do it. Somehow, we've got to continue driving this jalopy. And we've got to get into the Tesla. We've got to get into the new world. And that's where it, it all starts to come together. It's a bit Mad Max at the moment. We need to just time to junk it or put it in a museum or do something and then get out of it and get into this new thing. So how are we going to do that? The thing that I've seen on many occasions is the way that systems are procured and reviewed and they've gone through is basically on the basis that this is going to cost us more. So what everybody focuses in on is what's the cost of the technology? What's the cost of implementing it? What's the cost of migrating, et cetera, et cetera. What we're in now is a world of software as a service and every single pursuit, as we look in the mass, every single opportunity we've looked at, every single technology we've reviewed out there, every time we come down to discussing things, they all want to know about the ramp. And what the ramp is, how do I go from zero gross written premium up to the full business being on there? And how do I pay for it over time? Because software as a service means that it's a service level that's being put in there. You pay for the service as you use it. So the old way of thinking was, is I turn up with this disk or whatever it is, download, I fling it over the fence and somebody wire it in and I go, oh, you need an upgrade. Here's an upgrade. Fling that over the fence. Now we take control of that. We deal with it. So what we're talking about here is rather than looking at this as a cost and an upswing, if you're looking at an upswing on cost, you've got to look at where the downswing on cost is as well. So these two things need to be brought together. If we bring these two things together, the goal should be to try and keep costs flat. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit here and a little bit there, but it's not like taking what you've got at the moment and sticking something else on top. It's about trying to keep it flat, trying to look at the real cost of ownership, the real technical debt within your business, establish that, and then work out a plan to transition from one to the other. Stick one on the side, transition from one to the other, because software as a service can help you do that. It can help you ramp, it can help you mitigate and manage your costs. So with pay-as-you-go, you only pay for it when you use it and you're ramping up and so that the cost as a percentage of a GWP doesn't really change. Or does it actually go down when you ramp as well? Do you get the benefits of scale with software as a service? One would hope so, wouldn't you? I'm not going to go into our commercials and the way that we do things, but generally, yeah, it's like with everything, the more of the use of it, the cheaper it gets. And it is a substantial saving running at a scale business, scale enterprise level on running things yourself. There's no other way to look at it. How did we get into this situation and how much of this situation of technical deficit, how much is that the industry's fault, the insurance industry's fault, and how much do you think technology companies could be sharing some of the blame there? It's very much about the trajectory of technology 
and how technology has evolved and been delivered over the years. I think at each stage, the evolution of technology in insurers, and I remember joining back in the dim and dark days, Sphere Drake, and seeing the first PC come into the office. It was a strange thing. Everybody viewed it as voodoo. It was kept in the corner for a while to see if it was going to poison any of us. And then it was started to use it. But we were all using green screens. We were all hammering stuff away into these green screens. And there was a way of delivering stuff when you had that fixed type technology, fixed type screens, fixed type assets. But as we've moved forwards, different vendors have built things at different times. Different requirements of insurers have evolved at different times. Technology has stepped on from green screen to PCs to 4GL language, fourth generation languages, which were more hierarchical and much easier reusable objects. And then we moved on and on and on. And then we've gone into the world of data lake, data, increasing power of PCs and so on and so forth. And basically, I don't think anybody's really at fault. It's just kind of like life. It's like trying to blame a tree for growing. It's just grown in that way. That's what it's done. What we've got now, though, is over this 30 or 40 years of this evolution, I joined just after punch cards were chucked out. I never saw punch cards or tape or anything like that. But um, we've got into this situation now where a lot of this old stuff still sits in there. Now, what's made the old stuff in there, and this is a really curious one. So every year, software houses, and if you've got a claim system and a policy system and a general ledger system and you've got a data management system and you've got a document management system, all of us technology vendors start sending you updates. And what these updates are, there will be bugs because software has bugs. We fix bugs. We have underlying improvements in the technology. We have some future looking stuff. We'll add new features and those sorts of things. And we provide these things every year. We may do quarterly releases for bug fixes and twice a year for updates, and then we'll have a major release every couple of years. And that's throughout the industry. Well, the poor IT department's sitting there going, so not only have I got to hammer this lot together, I've got to try and keep all of these upgrades in sync. But the thing is, the cost of upgrades is enormous. So to upgrade an administration platform does cost a lot of money because you've got to take everything, test everything, test all the joins around it, test all of the integration points, test everything that's coming in and going out test the products that have gone into it and make sure everything's correct. So you can really only do one at a time. So let's just say you upgrade your policy system, but your claim system slip behind. So you then move your claim system up, but your policy system slip behind and your billing system slipped even further behind. So the problem with everything is, is then you add on to it the the overall ecosystem. Even the technology that sits between technologies needs upgrading. This upgrade overhead is one of the features of technical debt, that everything gets further and further out of sync and of compliance in terms of maintenance. And you get to a point where it becomes slightly unmaintainable. So what's changed now? So I don't really blame anybody for that. That's just the way things are done. The difference is now that has stopped. That's no longer really necessary. The software as a service means that actually the software vendor doesn't turn up with this, fling it over the fence and disappear until... They need to fling the next one over the fence for the upgrade. The the software vendor is responsible for the upgrades, for upgrading their software and keeping it current. The way that we like to look on it is that we're now in the era of the evergreen software. You're not building legacy in because we keep it up to date. It's our responsibility, and it's the same for all software vendors, to keep this thing up to date so you aren't accumulating more technical debt. And the only way to really stop this is to park what you've got and move on to the new paradigm for software. 
So you've got to make that move. Is it really all down to cloud technology, the internet that has made this possible to change the way we're doing from just selling people boxes and machines to now selling them a service, which is what they actually want? The concept of cloud, we've been doing cloud for eight years now. The acceptance of cloud has changed dramatically. The suspicion around security, data ownership, data residency, all of these things have largely been thought through. And done. We've, kind of, we've got through that now. That No one's really worried about you handling their data on their behalf. They now accept that you can probably almost certainly do it better than they would anyway. Yeah, because we're leaning on people like Microsoft, who have quite a lot of people doing this more than probably people actually working in your average insurance company, just focusing on security and resilience and those sorts of things. So it's great from that perspective. And really the whole thing around Microsoft is and the acceptance part of this is we've gone from installing Word and Excel on our local PCs through this whole, everybody looked at Microsoft and said, hey, the news, what you're doing is you're basically making this situation where we can never move away from Microsoft Word. We now pay you on a monthly basis and you keep it evergreen. And the first thing was, well, aren't Microsoft pulling a fast one on this, keeping everybody on there? And actually, when it came down to it, why would you want to move away from it? It has this really funny thing. It called it works and it does what you need it to do. So you don't think actually, oh, Excel just doesn't work. It doesn't occur to anybody that it does what it needs to do. It's a standard and it works very well. So we're quite happy now paying for this on an annual basis. Microsoft make it available to all of our devices. It's a fabulous thing. That's where technology is going for insurance now. That's how we think about it. So how quickly can someone go from that spending 70% of their money on stopping old systems from collapsing to that good thing where you've got an optimal amount of money being spent on new systems that are far better? Is there a one-off cost involved in doing it? There are a number of costs involved in doing it. What we really need to do is take a really good look at where money is being spent at the moment. Because when you're turning stuff off in the existing estate, it's got to be done in such a way that, A, we don't impede performance of what's going on because we've got to keep the customer service. We've got to keep the front-end troops selling and maintaining and managing claims and doing all the things they need to do. But we need to work in sympathy with the insurer to say, right, where are the big rocks that we need to move for you? Once we've worked out where the big rocks are, then we need to work out how they need to be put onto our system or whatever system it is. So putting two things in parallel and ramping up on the new system is the way of doing it. What we tend to look at is we like to do things greenfield because the other problem is, is that there's a huge, huge amount of customization that's gone into any system. The culture previously was always a case of, so if somebody says they need it to be in blue and have the word Mars written on the outside. Nobody knows why, but Mars, we've always had Mars written on the outside. Then we would take a standard product and we would make it blue and we would type Mars on the outside. What we have to say now is that we have to move to standard. The whole element of low code means that actually you, the insurer, should be able to maintain whatever you want within the standard product. You can build whatever product you want, whichever way you want to do them, through whichever channel that you want. You don't have to touch a line of code. You can code it. So you do the low code side of things. So what we have to do now is say, to the insurer, if you can come up with something that doesn't fit within the system, you're trying really hard to find something that doesn't fit in the system. What you need to do is challenge the premise of actually needing it. But these things have switched as well. So we set up a standard environment. We look at the overall big rocks that we need to move. We then create a standard set of baseline greenfield products. 
And then we basically start to rebuild the business over here from the old paradigm to the new paradigm. But it's done in a cost sensitive way, which is why we look at the big rocks, the big cost rocks, the big functional rocks. And these rocks could be things like, I can't get to my customers properly because I don't have an API layer. Like, where's that being dealt with uh, the best? My document management system kind of works, but I kind of need a new document management system because they're not really doing something that's incurring this cost. And actually, the old document management system is costing me two million quid a year, or the new one could cost you 200 grand a year. So let's look at it from that perspective and how do we do this. There are a number of factors. These changes are never a cost-free exercise. Let's just put that to one side. What they can be is cost-mitigated exercises. And I think that's where the whole 10 towards standard benefit from the low-code environment, go minimum viable product, learn, test, move on. You mentioned low-code there. And as a layperson looking from the outside, I see the words low-code and no-code a lot recently. So quickly explain what that is. I'd understand it as being a place where you can go and build the functionality. And for example, I managed to build my own website. You don't have to know HTML anymore to build a website because you can go to somewhere that has thought of all these things for you. And I could build the voice of insurance website, you know, in a few days by pulling designs and templates around. Can you do that sort of thing to design an insurance business process or a new product in insurance? Is that what we mean by no code and low code? Some of those customizable features, is that going to be the savior of the industry? Everyone should do as much customizing as they want on their own front end while you leave all the heavy lifting and the big rocks and stuff to you. So I think you're absolutely correct. And that's a great way of describing it, which is it's very much like that. It used to be because you used to have to ring up a, a website designer. I want a website, right? Get your checkbook out. Now it's a case if you go to one of these providers, you sign up and you look, actually, I can work that out. And it's very much that way with policy administration software now. In particular, things like some of the latest versions of what we're doing, the user interfaces, the GUIs and all those sorts of graphical user interfaces, the portals are very much along the same paradigm that you're talking about. Drag stuff in, build it. When it comes down to the product side of things, again, it should be the same way. Motorhome pet travel, the usual lines of business. What insurers want to compete on is rating, channel to market, and the type of product, the features of the product that they're doing. I'll go more into that in a minute, that what do we mean by product now and, and that user experience. What the system should be able to do is have a business user should be able to change rates and test those rates and make sure that they're right so you're not selling the business off and giving out policies to 17-year-olds for five pounds. And the company should be able to rapidly deploy new lines of business on their own without coming to me and saying, Bart, can you get a load of programmers in and do this? So a system low code gives you that ability. And to do those changes, so you suddenly there's a little loop of new compliance just to double check that someone's ticked a box to say that you can do something with their data or whatever it is. You can add all those kind of things yourself without having to bring in a load of expensive programmers to do it. Yeah, that should be the case. You should be able to put in new features, new functions within existing product. It should have a hierarchy, it should have a structure, and it should be obvious to do it. Now, there are two things here. You need an expert view of it because there are going to be complex things that need to occur. But also you need a more user-focused way of doing things, very much the, the website of doing things that you were describing earlier, where any business user can actually, once they've got the right authorization, can add in a new field can change the IPT, can change whatever they need to do to create this product and make it work forwards. It should also be testable. It should also be done in such a way that you don't run out of control because with great configuration comes great responsibility. 
One of those other buzzwords that you mentioned earlier, actually, was ecosystems. I wonder if you could explain what they are and how they fit into what you're offering. Yeah, so the way the world has moved on is that I really believe that insurance platforms are now orchestration platforms. That whole element of admin, over the years, they've been designed to do admin, store stuff, do some basic functionality and return stuff, then maybe do some letters and this and that. And it's all involved. That's a given. Any, any, you can throw a dart out there or throw a stone out there and hit an insurance platform that could do the basics of insurance. That really is a given. So those are table stakes. To move on from that, you need to have, first of all, the low code side of things, which is essential. If you can't do the low code side of things, you're just baking in a load of cost for the future. The second thing is a decent API layer, application programming interface. And that is the gateway to all of these innovations. And if you have those two things together, what you can do is you can take the low code and you can take the innovations and you can bring them together and you can assemble them in a way that creates really novel ways of doing insurance business that can help customers gain new experiences. We can bring in everything we ever wanted to do about insurance and didn't know that you wanted to do with insurance. You can take advantage of IoT and all those sorts of things. So the role of the insurance platform and the technology within the insurance company, the core technology set, is to act as that orchestration platform, to bring in analytics, bring in data, do new and interesting things, make better products that are priced better for individuals, be able to give them access through their phones or whatever new device, their car, however they want to do these things. It's really important that that's the case. So the innovation side of things and the solution ecosystem that exists out there the ecosystem approach is essential because no one company can come up with all the ideas or all the technology it just doesn't work that way and we don't think like that we want to make sure that we have the widest range of solutions partners we actively solicit new solutions partners we have a number of ways of doing this and we've been evolving our way of doing this type of integration and innovation moving forward to the orchestration to the point where now we've devolved accessibility to our platform to third parties. We have a thing called duckcreek.dev, where third-party, funky, cool, insure tech types can come in and see the patterns that exist with our system and integrate with themselves to that system. So it used to be a point-to-point -point thing. We'd go out and find people, work with them, and we've built our ecosystem around that. We've now democratized that to a point where if somebody's got something, they think, I want to link up with Duck Creek. They can, and I think any good system should have it. It's modern. You know, I was talking about how thinking has evolved from the evolution of technology, and technology is taking the next step now, which is the democratization of innovation. So whereas in the old days, you would try and be all things to all men and try and do everything and say, well, let's get into modeling, let's do about aggregation, let's try and get in some underwriting triage tools or whatever the latest thing are, you'd be trying to do those and competing with these other smaller companies. But these days now, it's almost more competitive advantage of you to be able to say to everybody, look, whatever it is, we'll find a way of linking to it, whatever cool tools you want to use. And sometimes maybe people just have personal preferences, don't they, sometimes as well as they just like the way this one works, even if it ends up doing the same as something else so now it's really all about you being the place where people can bring all these things together and then the more the merrier is what you're saying really is it yeah it is somebody might bring a chatbot somebody might bring a claims front-end application if you bring the two together and coordinate it through whatever platform we're finding in our case duck creek you can actually come up with an end-to-end -end solution to help insureds 
manage claims where the chatbot is helping them through the claim and they've got the front end there as well. And we bring these things together. You need analytics on that. You need to decide if there's a total loss. Well, neither of those two applications will do the analytics. Well, we actually don't care. We're just going to poke the analytics over there and it'll come back with an answer. Our job is to help the insurer assemble these things or help them to help themselves assemble these things into competitive advantage for them and new customer experiences. And if you're really, really good at doing that, then of course, everyone would want to stay with you and be very happy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a bit like Microsoft. I think the thing for me is, is that our job has evolved from designing and building software that we install in people's businesses to do jobs of work. That's a given, I'm saying that that is a given. But our job has evolved from that to maintaining that, keeping that so it works and it works well, but opening it up opening it up through the low code, opening it up through the APIs and keeping our platform evergreen and making it a system for innovation. That's what our responsibility and how it's evolved. And that's the way we're going to get rid of all this technical deficit and just be in our sort of Tesla whizzing away forever, being renovated all the time and upgrading itself. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. I'm When I think about it, I think it's a bit like risk. You can't get rid of risk, you can mitigate it. And I think with technical debt, I don't think you can necessarily always get rid of all of it or you can get rid of all of it. What you can do is take effective steps to mitigate it, to bring it back to really, really low levels and benefit from it. You benefit from it. Your customers benefit from it. Thanks very much for that, Bud. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. I love the way you brought up the word Sphere Drake, which conjured up all sorts of memories. And I remember it being very technologically advanced at the time. It was the first place that I remember seeing video conferencing being used. I think you could go into the London office and then talk to the underwriter in Bermuda. And it was all seemed very magical back in the mid nineties. <laughs> we had PCs in there. And I remember the PCs coming in and coming under the desk and we were looking at them. What is that? And we had WordStar. There was no word then. And I can't remember what the spreadsheet package was, but they were truly awful. But they did something we couldn't do before. It was great. It's good that you're carrying that through into your career now. So I really, really appreciate you giving me the time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been very refreshing. I think we've confronted some of the cultural difficulties that we know in the marketplace. You've shown us the way forward that we know what the solution is. We just need to make sure we get there and get there quite quickly, I presume. I wish you all the best in your endeavours in helping us to do that. Thank you very much, Bart. Thank you, Mark. Great to speak to you today. I really enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, Don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.